uh, be very grateful if you have that passage that Martin uh, read for us earlier in the service open in front of you. It's, it's uh, Romans 8. It is a belter, as Martin uh, announced it. It's a great passage, and uh, we're going to be looking at it over the next few moments. Uh, I think there are few sports that are as frustrating as golf. Uh, you, you, you get to the golf course, you've got your uh, shiny clubs in your bag, you tee off, and you think, this is going to be the round that will end all rounds. It's going to be all the previous rounds, I'm going to do my best. And all too soon, it just goes wrong. You start doing what um, someone describes to me as kind of military golf. It's left into the bushes, it's right into the trees. Uh, you sort of zigzag your way kind of across the, the, down the, the fairway. And you find yourself wishing, or if you're, certainly if you're me, you do anyway, why don't I just start again? It'd be great just to go all the way back to the beginning and kind of, you know, set it all up and just start as you're supposed to start. Start it all over again. But of course, you can't do that because the rules won't let you. You have to just kind of press on and you mark your card and uh, you're left with the evidence uh, at the end of the round. Uh, Maybe you've never played golf in your life, but I think that that sensation is probably a familiar one. Uh, How about this uh, for an alternative? Uh, It's an exam. Critical exam... Uh, you've uh, done your best, you've revised hard, you've uh, completed all the questions, uh, and uh, you've got to the end of the paper, and you just think, I've got five minutes left, let's just check it through, just check the answers. You suddenly realise that you have completely misread one of the questions. It's just too late. You go back, you uh, ask for more paper, you try and uh, write a new, fresh answer, or try and recast the answer that you've you've written uh, to answer the question better, but it's too late. You haven't got enough time. Uh, You can't start. Again, it's too late. Uh, All of us, I think, will have moments in our lives where we'll have longed to be able to start again. Maybe it's haunting failures. Maybe it's missed opportunities. Maybe it's harsh words that we wish that we'd never said, and if only we could say uh, the right thing again. Well, at the heart of being a Christian is the good news that a fresh start really is possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that in the evening service, we've been starting a series looking at some of the essentials of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Uh, We've uh, we've seen that what Jesus has done for us, he's died on the cross, he's risen again. And because of that, it means that we can enjoy a fresh start in our lives when we put our trust in him. And this passage tonight begins to sketch out some of the consequences for us if we do put our trust in him. What does that fresh start actually look like? What does it look like to go God's way rather than our way? Uh, There's lots in this passage. I want to focus on three consequences in particular that I think uh, St. Paul draws out for us in this passage. And the first one is this, uh, that when we become Christians, we get a new mind. We get a new mind. Sounds a bit like the kind of plot of a dubious sci-fi or a sort of horror movie, doesn't it? It's a you know, range of the, of, the, of the mind snatches or something like that. But Paul tells us that the very first thing that happens when we uh, trust in Christ is that we receive new minds. Uh, we start thinking differently. Uh, so he explains to us what he means in verse 5. He says this, doesn't he? Those who live according to their sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Uh, So without Christ, we we live in accordance with our sinful nature. That's our kind of old selves. We have our minds set on what our sinful nature desires. But when we become Christians, 
things are very, very different. Uh, He goes on, doesn't he? He explains that when we become Christians, we become those who live in accordance with the Spirit. And we have our minds set on what the Spirit desires instead of what the sinful nature desires. The non-Christian is led uh, by the sinful nature. Uh, it It wants to live in opposition to God. But the Christian who is led by the Spirit wants to live in a way that pleases God. Uh, Something has changed. We have new minds. Well, how do we get uh, that new mind? Well, Paul tells us, and that's uh, what he does in the first uh, four verses or so. Uh, He tells us, doesn't he, in that great headline verse, in uh, verse 1, that if we are Christians, then there is now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, We've been acquitted set free from the charges that are against us. Uh, We've been set free from sin's power over us, uh, from the penalty that we we should face. And he explains that all this has happened, verse 2, because in Christ the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Uh, Previously, before we became Christians, we were outside of Christ, we were under the control of that old uh, sinful nature that condemned us to death. And yet, as Paul explains, uh, because God sent the Lord Jesus to be a sin offering in our place, because he died on the cross uh, for us, uh, justice has been satisfied, he says. It's the law has been uh, satisfied, and we have been set free to live now under the control of the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The law has been satisfied. We do not live according to the sinful nature, but instead in accordance uh, with his spirit. Well, what does it look like to live with these, uh, this new mind? Well, that's where Paul uh, takes us from verse 6. He shows us, he says, the old mind, that is the one that was controlled by the old sinful nature, uh, was at war with God and was unable to please him. It was leading us uh, towards death. But the new mind, the Christian mind, uh, the mind that is uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit, is a mind that submits to God and wants uh, to please him. And the outcome is in verse 6, isn't it? The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life uh, and peace. Uh, it's uh, peace uh, because we know that uh, we're forgiven and we're right with God. We're accepted by him. There's nothing that we have to do or we can do to earn his love or acceptance for us. But it's life as well, isn't it? Because we know that we've been set free from the chains of sin and we are free to, uh, to live lives uh, with the Lord Jesus just as we were always intended. We have at new minds. I think what somebody thinks about will largely shape uh, the way that they live. And Paul tells us then that if we're in Christ, then we have new minds. Minds that are controlled by the Holy Spirit, minds that are set on pleasing God. Of course, we'll have times, days, when we uh, do things that are not pleasing uh, to God. Uh, We will still find ourselves having to daily fight against sin. We shouldn't 
be surprised about that. That should be expected. In fact, if anything, the fact that we are experiencing a tug of war and having to fight against sin actually is good proof that something drastically has changed in our lives. Uh, Before we were in Christ, we wouldn't have known anything of that kind of struggle. We just would have gone with what our sinful nature desired. But now we know differently. We have new minds. Something has changed. Our minds have changed. We are led by the Holy Spirit. And every day we must choose to allow our minds to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us as God speaks to us through his word. We need to ask him for the power to be obedient to what we read so that we don't just, we're not just hearers of the word or readers of the word, but we're doers as well to do what pleases God. We have to set our minds on things above, as Paul writes uh, elsewhere, rather than on things below. Uh, we've got new minds, new minds that help us to do some new thinking. That's the first con- consequence, a new mind. What's the second? The second consequence is this. We have a new future, a new future. Uh, Paul's already hinted at this, hasn't he? He's told us that we're either heading for death uh, or for life. And he starts now to unpack what this means. Ultimately, he says that the non-Christian and the Christian are actually heading in two very, very different directions towards two very different futures. Uh, For the Christian, he tells us, a glorious new future awaits with the Lord Jesus in his new creation. And the reason uh, for this uh, new future is because we have a new identity. At verse 9, he tells us, uh, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. Uh, We're Christians. Uh, Because we're Christians, therefore, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. Uh, That's our proof, our guarantee, that we really are uh, followers of the Lord Jesus. If you don't have uh, the Holy Spirit, then you can't be a follower of Jesus, and vice versa. It's impossible to have the Holy Spirit without being a friend of Jesus. And if we belong to Christ, if we have the Spirit living inside us, as Paul tells us that we do, then he says that our future has been transformed. Verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. The Lord Jesus has shown us in his death and resurrection what the future looks like. That first Easter morning when Jesus rose triumphant from the grave in the power of the Holy Spirit is in fact a foretaste of what awaits his followers. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who lives inside us. We will be raised with our Lord Jesus in new resurrection bodies, free from sin, free from all of sin's effects. Everything that that now dogs us and spoils life will be gone. We'll be restored to how life is meant to be. At the moment, yes, we're, we're dead because of sin. We're under death. We know that every day. Our bones creak. We experience sin's effects. But one glorious day in the future, friends, we will be set free, uh, transformed with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will have new bodies. 
in a new future uh, with him. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that sounds a bit pie in the sky to me. Uh, It doesn't really feel like that at the moment. It's all a bit far off. Uh, We do have creaky knees. We've got sniffly noses. We've got teary eyes, haven't we? We do sin. We do struggle. And we know that. And Paul doesn't deny that. And yet, at the same time, Paul does tell us that we can be encouraged. Uh, Because what he's explaining here isn't just some kind of far-off fantasy. In fact, actually, it has already begun. Verse 10, he explains for us. He says, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, and yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Yes, for the moment, we're we're still subject to death. We will all day die. We know one day we will all die. We know that. We are subject to sin. We're subject to illness, to sickness, to sorrow, to bereavement, to all those things uh, that sin has brought into the world. We do find ourselves rebelling against God. We do find ourselves confronting sickness. We do find ourselves overwhelmed with sorrow. But God's Spirit is inside us to give us life. And day by day, he is at work in us. He's changing us fashioning us, transforming us, inch by inch, day by day, into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, ready for that day when he'll return to take us home. Every day, friends, sin's grip on our life gets less. Every day, our strength to fight it gets stronger. Every day, we edge a little closer to that day, when either Lord Jesus will take us to be with him, uh, or he uh, will return uh, to take us home. We edge a little bit closer to that glorious future that the Bible tells us that we have in the Lord Jesus. The future that God has prepared for all those who love him. Uh, Apparently in the uh, 1970s, during the height of the Troubles, the the IRA vandalised a priceless painting by Rubens, which hangs in um, the famous chapel of King's College, Cambridge. Uh, I don't really quite know why they did it, but I think they obviously hoped that if they vandalised it, then they would have ruined it forever, and that would sort of be a kind of, uh, a kind of bit of a, a sort of fillet for them and a, a morale booster for them, and it would be uh, it was sort of an attack and very visible. They thought that they had ruined it forever, and yet the next day there was a notice that was put up beside it, and the notice said this: "It is believed that this painting can be restored to its original condition." Well, the world as we know it is far more priceless than any painting by any old master. Because it's the masterpiece of God himself. And and human beings, you and I, are the pinnacle of that masterpiece. On the surface, it might look as though it's been damaged uh, beyond repair because of our sin and our rebellion. And yet by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to earth, by putting his spirit inside us, God has begun his work of restoration. And that work he will bring to completion when he returns again in glory. We can look forward to a day with hope amid the tears that we experience day by day to that day when everything will be finished. When the Lord Jesus will restore us perfectly to be uh, like him, uh, to enjoy the new creation that he has prepared for us. And for the moment, we can be encouraged, can't we, as Paul tells us, to keep putting sin to death. Verse 12, we have an obligation. 
but it's not the sinful nature to live according to it, to put it to death uh, to, uh, by the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's a hope to encourage us, isn't it, as uh, we do so. To live as those who are led by the Spirit rather than by the sinful nature. Yes, we know there'll be failures. Yes, we know that we will have days when it feels like the battle is being lost. Of course there'll be sorrow. Of course there'll be sadness. Of course there'll be sickness. But it will not last forever. We have a glorious new future with glorious new bodies that awaits us. I said there were three consequences. What's the third consequence for us? Well, the third consequence of uh, having a fresh start with the Lord Jesus is this. We have a new relationship. We have a new relationship. Uh, Paul tells us, verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I think of all the things that we enjoy in life, relationships are probably among the most uh, precious, I think. Uh, Really, it's through relationships that, in many ways, I think we feel most what it means to be be human. Uh, And if we're Christians, then Paul tells us that we have an exciting new relationship that we are made to enjoy. We're sons of God, verse 14. Uh, We've been adopted, he tells us, into uh, God's family. We've received the spirit of sonship, as Paul tells us, verse 15. Uh, We can call God Abba, Father. Abba is just an Aramaic word. It it kind of means dad. It's sort of affectionate. It's a, a sense of closeness to it. We have been adopted into God's family because of the Holy Spirit living inside us. Uh, If we're to understand all this uh, means, then we need to understand something of the culture within which uh, Paul was operating, and particularly the adoption process as it was in Paul's day. It's a bit different to what we might be used to in our day. Uh, Under Roman law, so Paul was uh, writing at the time when the Romans were operative and uh, they were in force, under Roman law, a father had absolute power and authority over his children. Uh, For as long as they lived... Uh, they belonged to their father. Uh, even if they got married or grew up, had children, uh, left home, they were still under his uh, absolute authority. And so to be adopted into another family was a pretty difficult business. It took a long time, it was very lengthy, uh, it, was, uh, it was a very difficult process. But the consequences of adoption were incredibly significant. Uh, what happened was this. Uh, the adopted son lost his old life completely. Uh, so to give an example, if he had any outstanding debts or any, he'd done any, committed any crimes, at the time when he was adopted, they were completely wiped out. Debts were cancelled, his, uh, his uh, sort of punishments were, 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 were ignored, he could have a fresh start. Uh, the slate was wiped clean. Uh, he became a full member of his new family. He lost, left his old family uh, behind. He became a, a full member of the new family. He had a total uh, claim on uh, his, father's, his new father's estate uh, when he died. And just to make sure that no one could uh, sort of uh, cast any doubts uh, that that had happened, uh, there would be a special ceremony where this would happen. And there would be seven witnesses who would gather around to testify that this had happened. We used to maybe two in, uh, in, in a wedding service or something like that. Uh, but just to make sure this had happened, they would be seven. And if uh, there was any doubt caused and uh, cast upon it in the future, these men could be men or women could be called upon uh, to, uh, to, to, to testify to what they had seen. 
And Paul says that that is what has happened to us when we become Christians. He explained, doesn't he, that before we were under the authority of sin. We were kind of part of the family of sin, under the, the power of sin. And through Jesus, we've been adopted into a new family, God's family. Our old life has been consigned to the past. We can call God our Father. We're written into his will. We're co-heirs with Christ of that glorious new future that we've been thinking about. And just in case we've got any doubts, Paul tells us that it's the work of the Holy Spirit, verse 16. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to assure us day by day that we really are Christians, that something has changed, just to get rid of any doubts. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? A really astonishingly powerful picture that that you and I, with our old lives of, of shame and failure, should be given a new life in the family of God. To be able to call the creator of the universe dad is an amazing thing. When we have rejected him and we've spurned his offer of love, to be able to call him our father is truly astonishing. It's almost too good to be true. And yet Paul says that there's also a qualification, and we shouldn't miss it. Is there? And you can see that in verse 17. He says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. Friends, if we're to share in the glory of being part of the children of God, but we must also expect to share in suffering as well. There can never be a crown without a cross. If we really are the written into God's will, if we're the co-heirs with Christ, if we're united with the Lord Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, then like him, we must expect suffering along with glory. But something has changed. We are adopted into the family of God. Um, in the Korean War about 50 years ago or so, there was um, apparently the story of a, um, some guerrilla fighters who attacked a small village. Uh, they murdered uh, the son of the pastor in that particular village. Uh, the war went on, and eventually the uh, fighters were captured, and they found out about this particular war crime, and they were put on trial. And the pastor, whose son had been murdered, uh, was called to give witness during the trial. Uh, he obviously came to the witness stand. Uh, Everyone expected that he would testify against uh, the men who were in the dock. And yet, amazingly, he started pleading for the life of the man who he knew had killed his son. He pleaded, uh, not just that this man should be let go, but that he should be allowed to adopt him as his own son. It turned out this man had a a very troubled past, uh, a desperately difficult upbringing, and uh, the pastor pleaded that he should be able to adopt him as his son. We don't quite know what happened, probably the confusion of war or something like that. But anyway, the court amazingly agreed to it. Uh, And this guerrilla fighter became the adopted son of the father, whose uh, birth son uh, he had killed. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? We have rejected our Heavenly Father. We might as well have murdered his son. We might not have been there, but we did by the fact we rejected him in our hearts and turned to live for ourselves. And yet in love, he pleads for us to be adopted as his own. He says our debts are cancelled. He says our past has been wiped clean. He says we've got a new inheritance secure. Nothing that we deserved. 
but it's ours if we'll have it. Friends, if you're a Christian this evening, I wonder if you're aware of that. We have a new relationship, one as the adopted uh, child of our loving Heavenly Father. Maybe you think that you've got little in your life to be thankful for. Maybe you think that you're not really a big shot in this world. You've got nothing that particularly uh, makes you stand out. But to your Father in Heaven, you are a treasured child. He gave his Son for you so that you might be his treasured possession. We might not have much in this world, but if we are the children of God, then that is something to hang on to, isn't it? There is no greater privilege than being able to call God our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. Whether it's when we play golf, whether it's when we're sitting exams, whether it's in the rest of life, all of us have times when we want a fresh start. And friends, that fresh start is available tonight to all of us who trust in the Lord Jesus. A fresh start with a new mind to be able to serve him and please him. A fresh start with a new future, a certain future, a future with him in his new creation. A fresh start with a new relationship to know him and call him our father. Paul tells us if we're children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, we do breathe this passage and there's almost too much to, to take in. It is almost too good to be true. That we who were once your enemies should be reconciled to you, that we should uh, have new minds to be able to please you, a new future uh, to be with you, uh, a new relationship to, to know you and to enjoy you. And we pray this evening, perhaps if any who don't yet know you, that you would be at work in their hearts to draw them to you. We pray for any this evening who are doubting whether they really are your children, that your spirit be at work in our hearts, testifying to that new relationship. And we pray above all that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit in new minds to to please you and to serve you for all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.